Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hi, it is Carlissa Shaw, and I am hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. What's good? It's Big Sue, and I'm hanging out with my girl, Ina Esco. We're going to chop it up about everything. You hear me? Everything on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Hey, this is State Representative Antonio Parkinson, and I am verbally effective because I'm always going to give you the uncut version. Straight lace, no chase. Antonio Parkinson is the state representative for Tennessee's 98th legislative district, which is predominantly made up of the Raleigh, Raleigh Bartlett, North Memphis, and Berclair areas. Brought to Memphis via the Marine Corps, he is well known by many in the Memphis community as one who makes a difference. Antonio Parkinson is dedicated to making Memphis, Shelby County, and the state of Tennessee a better place to live. Parkinson believes in small business. As a small business owner himself, he has created opportunities for personal and professional growth for those around him. He is and has mentored many young leaders in the Memphis and Shelby County communities while continuing to serve in the many positions he holds. As owner of Black Market Strategies, a public relations and marketing firm, Parkinson not only assists large corporate entities in business and marketing strategies, but also publishes a monthly news and lifestyle magazine for the community he serves. Although no longer serving on the board of directors, his creation, abettermemphis.com, was created as a vehicle for citizens of Memphis and Shelby County to voice their likes, dislikes, opinions, and solution for issues and opportunities with the city and county. Verbally effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 146 of the Verbally Effective Podcast. You know, this podcast is all about your journey and being transparent and all of that great stuff you get to know about all of the people that are either from Memphis or have ties to Memphis on this podcast. Before we get started, I do want to remind you all that the Ivy Multimedia Merch Shop is open. We got hoodies, we got t-shirts, we got Henry masks. Yes, we have partnered with the Henry Brothers. Big shout outs to Patrick and Chase. Okay, my bad. Fresh and Chase. 
for partnering on the mask. So make sure you uh, head on over to ivymultimedia.com and get your merch. But we're about to get started for episode 146. I have with me today a gentleman that runs things around here in Tennessee. He is actually the state representative of District 98 for Tennessee. Mr. Antonio Parkinson, how are you, Mr. Parkinson? I'm doing pretty good. Look, I look like I made the cut. You made the I'm, cut. I'm 146. I'm 146 down. But no cut. <laughs> right. Wow. Yes. Look, I had you on my list now. I, I, right. I, I'm getting to you now, but I'm so right, glad because right. it's a perfect time for us to have a chat right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff is going on. A lot of people need to be informed about so much right now. I think we're in like a really critical moment in our lives in 2020. And you know, it's so unprecedented. It's mm -hmm. so different. Like, uh, what's really going on in 2020? How has right, your 2020, right, right. how has 2020 been treating you? Let me ask you that. You know, you know, actually, you know, 2020 has been pretty good for me. I'm 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 honestly blessed. I'm I'm so thankful. I'm serious. I am I'm very very thankful for for how the Lord has, has has guided and actually prepared me before 2020, um, and you know because none of us saw none of us seen this coming. You know everybody had 2020 vision, and now we're all blind. You know yeah. from from the 2020 2020. I'm gonna be honest with you though. You know 2020 has been a mother. Yeah, you know, it, it really has, um, and you know, and it has um, affected. Every and, and including myself, every single person that I know personally in some form or fashion. I don't know one person that has not been, uh, you know, deeply affected in, in some manner, uh, you know, this year, whether it's yeah. through because of COVID or whether it's because of all of the, the effects of COVID from uh, loss of income or to, um, you know, um, uh, you know, being lost, you know, your health, you know, and, you know, family members or, or loss of a loved one. Yeah. Loss of a loved one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mental health issues out here right now yes. that people are dealing with. And, you know, and it, 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 you know, this, this pandemic has completely, honestly turned the world upside down. Not just, not just, you know, Memphis and Shelby County and, mm -hmm. you know, in our, our households, but the entire world has yeah. been turned upside down. Yeah. by you know this pandemic and and it's i'm just you know i'm just thankful you know um that i hadn't lost a loved one um that i know of and you know due to the pandemic and you know i'm just i'm glad my mother is still is still yeah. alive and well and she's probably probably the most careful person i know and, well that's uh, good you know, that's good yeah, though yeah, yeah yeah you know my brothers and you know they're still crazy as hell but <laughs> right my, my two daughters i'm you know i'm, I'm thankful yes and i'm glad yeah. you raised the uh point of mental health because you know although mm -hmm. i've been working home since mm -hmm. march it's just like mm -hmm. you think you you have more time now but your mental capacity is kind of different right now because there's so much things that are draining and mm -hmm. on your mind even though you know you you probably can't get out and go and do what you need it's like mentally something is different right now like I feel the effects as well it is and and you know what's, what's really interesting is you know I've been having this conversation with people about capacity even whether those things are tangible or intangible yeah everything in this universe takes up space and so you and you have to you literally have to clear that space 
mentally because even and, and I don't know if we're gonna go this deep with this, but but with your podcast, but even you know having you know things occupy that space in your in in your mind, it blocks other things from being able to sit in that space, and that could be your blessings, that could be things that are that are here for you, and you can't they can't manifest if you got other shit blocking. That's true. You know, you know, uh, you know your capacity. So you got to clear yeah. this stuff out. You literally yeah. have to clear that capacity. Yeah, that's real. Me and my producer, we just had a mm-hmm. heavy conversation about that because mm-hmm. you know you think you you can do more, but it's kind of like taxing on your mind. Right. Like, well, dang, I can't mm-hmm. even get it done. But right, okay. Right, right. So look, let's start at the beginning, Mr. Parkinson. What part of Memphis are you originally from? So none. Oh, so, so right, right, right. So it's funny. Uh, uh, you know, I was born in Oakland, California. And, oh yeah, you Cali, uh, you West Coast. Right, okay. Right, right. Even I got the Memphis made on here, and I'll explain it. I was okay. born in uh, Oakland, California, and you know we left Oakland, California when I was about, I think, about two years old, and we moved to LA. And so I grew up the first, uh, I say, two thirds of my childhood in uh, LA. And then my mother, who was from Port Arthur, Texas, or PAT for all those of you that understand home of the trio. I'm from uh, Beaumont, you know, Texas, originally. Hey. Really? <laughs> yes, they go to try. Wow, yes. Oh, okay, so okay, so you 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 understand some boudin and good gumbo and all hey, of hello, that. Hello, oh, oh man, that's, that's, that's tripping me out. Okay, yes, oh, Okay, so yeah, so my mother, who is from Port Arthur, Texas, we moved to Port Arthur, Texas, and uh, that's where I ended up finishing high school at, and um, you know, did you know my the latter years of my childhood, and you know, in and out of there, to be totally honest with you. Uh, um, got kicked out of school there in, in, in Port Arthur, Texas. You know, I tell you, uh, Pimp T and Bun B, UGK, they came behind me. Yeah. Um, they were about four years behind me, um, you know, and I went to all of the high schools in Port Arthur, Texas uh, after being kicked out of the first one. And uh, actually, speaking of being kicked out of the first high school, uh, you know, I was 14 years old. I went to jail. I, I was actually arrested um, on the last day of school in my 10th grade year. For what happened? Bringing a gun to school. I, was, I, was, I had intentions of shooting uh, some kids that were bullying me, mm. uh, and, you know, and they were threatening me and, and, and I was, you know, 14 and, um, and was, uh, arrested and, and taken to jail on last day of school, stripped of all my grades and, you know, and had to make all of that stuff up. And, and, you know, my cousin, now my cousin says, he says I was kicked out of two schools. I mean, three, three high schools. I, I knew of two. But okay. I didn't remember the, the the third one. But he said I was kicked out of uh, Stephen F. Austin High School too in Port Arthur also. But I didn't remember being kicked out of it. I don't know why I left. I don't remember why I left. But but yeah. So you know uh, they didn't know they were kicking the state representative out. Of it. Uh, they didn't know back then, huh? <laughs> right. But but you know I, I I tell people you know even even through all of that you know everything has there's purpose in everything. You know you don't understand that it's time that it's happening, and you know there's a lot going on at that time and. Um, you know, you don't understand at the time that it's happening, but but I do. I, I you know, now that I'm I've gotten older and as an adult, I um, understand that I was being shaped for what I'm doing right now because my constituency, the same people that I serve, a lot of them deal with some of the same issues, some of the same right. challenges that we were dealing with: homelessness, you know, abusive uh, households, you know, drugs in the house. You know, um, hell, we, I grew up in the, in the house where the, where the dope was. And, you know, and, you know, all of those things that, that, that come with that. And so, you know, it was a lot. 
it was a lot going on. And then, and, you know, that thing tends to spiral and it tends to cycle. And, and, you know, those children of those, of those households, they tend to start looking for the out, you know, how can I do it? How can I make it happen? How can I do it on my own or this, that, and other? And I actually moved out of my mother's house, um, you know, at the age of 15, but I was just about, I think I was about a month away from turning 16. And so I moved out of my mother's house then and, and, and it's been on from then since then. So wow. I'm working at KFC. As a matter of fact, here's a little, little shameless plug. I'm working on my book and it's called Cold Chicken because I survived on whatever chicken we had left from KFC when I would close. That's what I ate for the next couple of days, me and my brother. Yeah, that's going to be a good book, Mr. Parkinson. Now, you know, before we started this podcast, mm-hmm. you did send me a video of you addressing um, a class at their graduation and and right. you and you talked about your story talking about you dealing with uh, homelessness with uh, family members just telling you you're not gonna amount to anything even your mother um, you spoke about her choosing relationships over you or, or your mm-hmm. siblings um, your father uh, not being present can you talk right. to some of those mm-hmm. um, things that you dealt with growing up? Yeah, you know, um, you, you, when, you, when you're going through those things and uh, even the parents, you know, I think the main thing out of all of that is, is to understand forgiveness. And, you know, and so, you know, because you got a choice, you got a choice as to whether or not you're going to harbor, you know, all of the ill will and the, the, the stuff that came with it. But when you, if you understand that, that, they are supposed to do what they were doing at that time to prep you for your purpose. And it, it took me a while to understand that. And, and, and you know, I didn't, I didn't get that at first, um, um, you know, and, and, but, but one thing it did, you know, when, and, and just to touch on, a, on an example of what you were talking, what you were talking about, you know, there was a, a, a let me give you a little bit of background. So I, I, you know, I, it, someone died for me to be sitting here talking to you. And let me explain that. Let me qualify that. Yeah, yeah, really. Mm. So uh, in Port Arthur, Texas, I had just finished high school. Didn't even, couldn't even march because I had got kicked out of another school in Jacksonville, Texas. Went back to Port Arthur, Texas. The, the black school, uh, Lincoln High School, shout out to, you know, everybody that went to Lincoln and graduated from Lincoln High School. Uh, it uh, in, invited me back in with open arms, right? I had gotten kicked out of the white school, right? Based okay. on, because of, they said it was because of my hair, but I think it was they had gotten the records from Thomas Jefferson High School that I had brought the gun, the school I brought the gun to. I think they got the records and then they realized like, no, nah, we don't want that here, mm-hmm. right? And so they kicked me out and, they, and, 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 and it was six months left to graduation. And they... Um, they said they they communicated with Lincoln High School, which is you know what I what I knew to go to, you know because it's our folks, right? And they told them at Lincoln High School, hey, we don't care what you do with him, you can let him finish out the classes that he had here, and we'll mail him his diploma. Wow! And so I finished at Lincoln, but I couldn't march with the folks at Lincoln because I really wasn't a student of Lincoln. And the, the, the principals at Jacksonville High School, they literally mailed me my diploma. Mm. They mailed mm. me my diploma. So I couldn't march with Jacksonville either because they had kicked me out. So, so, I did, so when, I, when I speak at these graduations for these high schools, it's the most joyous opportunity afforded to me because I love to see them in that space 
because I had to I had to literally sit in the audience and watch my peers walk across the stage mm. who I finished with. And right. they didn't understand. And then I'm a kid now. I remember I was 17. So nobody understood. They're like, man, did you fail? Did you not? What happened? You didn't finish all your credits? They said, no, I finished all my credits. But due to technicality, I can't march with y'all across oh, the state. Oh, wow. What a feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty deep. But I but I, I, I was I, I was sat in that audience and I was, you know, really happy for those that were marching across the stage doing the dance and celebrating <laughs> and they said, no, 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 I was up and on it. But look, so so I, I originally enlisted in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I, I enlisted in the Air Force and, and I would go to my Air Force recruiters uh, office every day and show up and help him recruit other people. And we were set to leave. I was set to leave to uh, go to boot camp. And um, I, I showed up at the office uh, of the recruiter one day and there was another person there. And I was asking him where the recruiter was. And he was like, you know, he got killed in a car accident last night. So he literally and, and it was mind blowing. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and keep in mind, I'm really homeless at this time, but I had an adult cousin that was allowing me to stay in his house, right? Myself and my brother, my brother Drag, shout out to my brother Drag. My brother Drag is a year older than me, right? And so we had it timed so that that cousin who hadn't seen his, his sisters and mother in forever, because this is how that happened. So we all lived in LA at the same time, the, the adult cousin, mm-hmm. my mom, my stepfather, my, my the adult cousin was actually my stepfather's cousin. When we moved to Port Arthur, Texas, the whole LA California bunch moved to Port Arthur, Texas. So that was us, my mom's sister, my aunt, uh, Charles Jr., who was the older cousin that I was talking about. And you know, everybody moved to Port Arthur. Well, then everybody left Port Arthur except for Charles okay. and my my aunt, right? And so anyway, so he he allowed me to stay, and and we had a time when I go go to boot camp for the Air Force. He was, he had his ticket. He was flying to, to Kansas to see his family who we hadn't seen in years. And back then there wasn't no internet. So this is 1986. So he had, had to drive to Houston to buy his ticket from the airport. And then, which is about 35 minutes and then, you know, drive back. So he couldn't take his ticket back or anything like that. So, so showed up and the, and the recruiter is dead. And so, you know, it, it, it blows my mind, first of all, because this is a person that I've grown and built a relationship with, right? And then after about five minutes of thinking about that stomach, my heart is in my stomach, then it really dropped in my stomach because I'm like, wait a minute, what does this mean for me leaving? Because this thing is timed, right? And that guy, you know, I, I took it as he was being a smart aleck kind of, you know, I was, I guess because I was mad, a little upset, but in a weird space, but he was like, well, this obviously puts everything on hold. Man is dead, right? And I'm like, and so, so it, it was. It was one of the moments I can still feel how I felt right now when that happened. And so, uh, the whole time, the Marine Corps recruiter was was listening because I had spoke, talked to both of them, but I had chose the Air Force. It was either Air Force or Marine Corps. And uh, and I had to tell that cousin, you know, that you know what happened. That the recruiter died. You know, excuse if you hear noise in the background. That's my air conditioning man coming in. That's so, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I had to tell my cousin, and my cousin was like, I understand it, but. I can't take my ticket back and, you know, and I got to lock my house up because I don't know where you're going to be. I don't know if you're going to be gone or if you're going to be, you know, everything was just pending. Yeah. And so anyway, the uh, Marine Corps recruiter who had, uh, you know, was always trying to recruit me anyway, he was, he was listening to the conversation that me and the, the new guy was having, the new Air Force recruiter was having. And after we finished and I'm sitting there looking crazy, he was like, hey man, come here, come here. You know, he, he's down the hall, right? He's like, ear hustling. 
<laughs> right. And he tells me, he says, look, I can get you out of here in, in, in about a week and a half. Mm. I can get you out of here in a week and a half. He said, you just have to transfer all of your paperwork from the Air Force over to the Marine Corps. Okay. And we can get you out. He said, but the, the, the caveat is this. And he was transparent about it. He said, because I was set with what job I was going to have in the Air Force. They didn't have that job in the Marine Corps. No, excuse me, not just that, but because we were doing it so fast, he said, I don't have, we don't have the time to set your MOS or your specialty or your job or what you're going to do in the Marine Corps, you know, because we're trying to make this thing happen as fast as possible. So you have to go in with an open contract, completely mm -hmm. open contract. So, so I, I agreed to the deal, but I agreed to the deal only if he would fly my brother back to LA with, with his father also. Okay. to go back to his father's house right and so we cut the deal and and you know that that recruiter was all excited about it because this is the first time i heard this term he had what they called an alpha candidate right and an alpha candidate is uh someone who scores high on the asvab on the asvab score right on the asvab test rather and and so uh, apparently i was an uh, an alpha candidate and and you know we so we cut that deal i went into marine corps boot camp um, I did very well in Marine Corps boot camp because I was scared that they would put me out. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I said, if they put me out of here, then I'm going to be homeless again. This, at this point, this is my third time being homeless before mm -hmm. I went into the Marine Corps, right? And, and, so, and so because of that, that fear was driving me. You know, I was, I was crazy as hell. And, uh, and, you know, and I got, honestly, I got, um, I got promoted in boot camp. But, but even before that, they had came to me based on my ASVAB scores and said, uh, we want to offer you officer's candidate school, and, but we want a 12-year commitment from you. And at the time that they, their timing was horrible because I literally just got finished getting dogged out by the drill instructors and I was dirty and sweaty. And then they called me before the commanding officer of uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, then he's high ranking and I'm scared, I'm scared. When they said I had to go before the commanding officer, I'm like, damn, what did I do? <laughs> no, did I did I pop positive on my on my drug test? <laughs> was weed was there some weed in my system? What did I do? Are they about to put me out? Oh Lord, don't let them put me out. Whoa, Lord, right. I mean, I mean, I, I because all I knew was my drill instructors in boot camp. I didn't know, you know, the boss of the whole base, right? I'm like, I don't even know the rank structure at this time. All I know is I'm scared. And then I'm looking at them, the drill instructors, they're looking like they scared. I'm like. Oh, so wow. their, their, their fear is transferring to my already fear. So I'm really scared. So now I'm standing at attention at, at the, you know, in the, in the, on the parade deck in, in San Diego. And this, this colonel, he says, relax, which was absolutely impossible. And he says, we want to offer you officers candidate school. And so we will uh, pay, we, want, we need a 12 year commitment. And that 12 year commitment means you, you're going to leave here. You, if you say yes right now, you're, it's done over here. You're, we're going to fly you immediately to Quantico, Virginia. You're going to go through boot camp with the officers. And then once you come out of boot camp, we're going to send you to college for four years for free at zero cost. And then we will have want a four-year commitment from you uh, in active duty Marine Corps. And then four more years of uh, reserve or, or reserve uh, duty. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, 12 years after I'm just getting, I'm getting dogged out. I'm thinking that this is what the Marine Corps is, right? I can do this shit for 12 years, right? Right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, of course, you know, once you come out of boot camp, it's a different animal, you know, and, you know, you're more on the job. 
specifications. So, so they said you can make that decision anytime in, throughout your Marine Corps career, right? And so I was like, dang, okay. It was a lot for me at that moment, you know, and, 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 and you know, and then further on and, and, you know, I became squad leader in the Marine Corps boot camp and, 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 you know, what, a couple of days before um, they uh, uh, released us, before we were finished with boot camp, uh, they gave us our orders. They were telling us what we were going to do. Now, remember, I, 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 was, I came in with an open contract, so I had no idea. So as they're, they're naming, they're, they're going down this list. I'm Parkinson, so they're going alphabetically in alphabetical order. So I'm towards the end of the 90 people that were in, in, in the platoon. Mm-hmm. And um, they're they going through all these names from A to, to Z, and everything is 03 this, 0311, 03 such and such, 03 that. What that means, that's infantry. Anything with the 03 code is infantry. So, you know, there's, you know, people that's going to be on the front line, you know, driving tanks, shooting, or just riflemen, this, that, and other basic, you know, uh, people to fight the wars, right? And they're going through 03. Most of my 03, most of my 03. And I'm like, okay, so shit, I guess I'm going to be 03 too. But when they got to mine, they, they said, uh, I think it was 7269 or 7369 or something like that. And it was so odd, right? And everybody looking around and even drill instructors looking around. Now I'm getting nervous again. In the moments again, like, what the... What the heck is going on here, right? So nobody knows what the code is. So the drill instructors, you know, they, you know, they one of them goes in there into his their little hut inside of our barracks, and he, he gets the MOS code book, and he goes down the list. I'm seeing him go down the list, turning pages, book about this big, turning pages, going down the code book, turning pages. He looks at it, then he whispers to one of the other drill instructors, and, like, and you know, he says, "Man, you he says you ain't gonna believe this shit." What is it? Right? He looks at it. He looks. He shows it to him. He's like. You know, they cursed, right? It was like, so then they look at me, and now I'm really getting nervous. Like, what what, was look, look, what, what, <laughs> and then they say, this ML is going, is going to air traffic control school. Okay. In Millington, Tennessee. Wow. In Memphis. That's how you got here. <laughs> That's how I got to Memphis. That's how I got to Memphis. And I was blown away, never seen it, saw it coming, never knew, uh, never understood it. And and so, and I got I got to Memphis, you know, I the only thing I heard about Memphis was Ku Klux Klan, 1960s and right, right. I didn't even know it was a city. I didn't even know there was a city, right? And uh and I got here and you know, I, I trained, I went through air traffic control school and I went through uh, crash fire and rescue school. And that's how I, I became a firefighter. And and that's how I got to Memphis. That's how I'm talking to you. Because wow. that Air Force recruiter died in the car accident. And I wouldn't be the state representative because I'd have been somewhere else totally different. Isn't that something? Had he not passed away. That's amazing. Totally out of my control. I had zero control at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah, but God, God had me though. My entire family um, on my dad's side, mm-hmm. they're military. They're, they're okay. mainly army. And right. um, I got here because my dad received orders to go to Millington. So wow. I'm here the same way. Wow. <laughs> Um, I know. So that was like a big transition because, like you said, yeah. you know, when they when they said Millington or Tennessee, Memphis, you know, that area, you like, dang, Ku Klux Klan, like, right, right, going right, on in right. Millington. All I could think about was Martin Luther King got killed in Memphis. Like, I don't want right. to go to it, but right, right. But we yeah. we here and now, yeah. you know, blazing trails in our in yeah. our specific industries, and yeah. you know. I know that you said Marine Corps, and from yeah. what I hear, Marine Corps is like the toughest of the tough of, yeah. 
of the military, of the military yeah. branches. So um, you yeah, did crazy you decision to go to officer school. Did you make that decision? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't make the. I didn't make the decision to do it. I did. I did my four years, um, and, and you know, and, enlisted, and and you know, I just didn't feel like the Marine Corps was enough money for me. Okay. You know, and 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 it was cool, and I did well. You know, I did very well. Um, you know, came out in, in E4, so I was right on target with what I was supposed to. And probably, and if I'd have stayed, I'd have been became a, a, a sergeant. And you know, I, I lived in Japan for a year. It was the. I'm gonna tell you something, Marine Corps. I thank God mm. for the Marine Corps for me because it was the best setting that I could have asked for. Yeah. Um, for for what I come from, you know, and it literally reset me. And and you know, and I tell people. You know, Marine Corps boot camp, they, they teach you, reteach you, they break you down and reteach you everything. I'm talking about even to the point of how to breathe. Mm. They really teach you everything. And I, and I thank God for them. And there's, there's a specific, one of my drill instructors, all of my drill instructors were crazy as hell, and, but, but great, but crazy as hell and exactly what I needed. And um, there was one drill instructor in there, uh, Staff Sergeant Williams at the time. He's the one that gave me the nickname Touche. A lot of people think that the nickname comes from music business. But it, it really came from that drill instructor because he's, at the time I was real skinny at the time, and um, in uh, maybe about 150 pounds maybe, and um, and he said I look like Two Shade of Turtle. Of course I didn't have any <laughs> hair on my head, and so for you older listeners and viewers, you know if if you remember that cartoon Two Shade of Turtle was the cartoon that was like the Three Musketeer had Three Musketeer hat on and and had the crooked sword, and mm -hmm. so I guess at the time I you know I, I'm look like Two Shade of Turtle at the time. And hell, I might still look like him. Right, wow. so that's where you so get the nickname. That's where that that's where that nickname came from, and uh, and I'm gonna tell you too. I, I got to send a shout out to to um, um, my, one of my closest friends who who we actually met in boot camp. We're both from LA, but we met in boot camp. Uh, Antonio Waters, and and he be, he got promoted out of boot camp too, and because he he had been homeless too, and uh, and we were so crazy that and and by the time you know we started getting a little bit closer to the end of boot camp. You know, we had started, you know, going up to the drill instructors, asking them to punish us because we wanted it. Now, you know, we're in shape and this, that, and other. Now, ready, ready. They, 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 they could do the harm us. We weren't scared no more. And, you know, was, and it got to the point where the drill instructors were like, they were like, man, get y'all crazy asses out of my face. Because right. <laughs> nobody asked them to, to what we call thrash. Nobody asked the drill instructors to thrash them. In fact, everybody's trying to avoid that. Right. We come running up there, standing at attention, sir. Uh, we got a question, sir. Fuck you, on. Ah. Uh, sir, can you uh, thrash us? No, get y'all crazy asses out of my face. <laughs> no, get out, get away from me, right? Yeah, and so yeah, we, we were, we were, we were just straight up, <clears throat> um, you know, to the wall with it, you know, because you know we both, and, and it's so funny after we talked about boot camp, as we when we ever we talk about it, we talk about we had nothing nothing to lose we had everything to lose let me rephrase that we had everything to lose if we if we didn't if we failed so mm -hmm. so it makes you look crazy when you're back up in that corner you know and makes yeah. you come out fighting right yeah. right yeah. this is your journey i mean you know you had in your mind i'm not being homeless no more so i gotta do no, this so no, i mean no. you succeeded um you are here today and i mean now you a state yeah. representative but i know it was a lot going on between yeah being in that air traffic control setting 
to becoming a state representative. Now, I heard you mention the music business. Now, I don't right. know if that's the next chapter, but what happened after you moved to Millington? What was going on when you hit Millington, Tennessee, got to Tennessee, um, you know, adapting mm -hmm. to your new role? What happened next for you, Mr. Parkinson? Man, start meeting these Memphis girls. So, so they, oh, you know, oh, back, oh. back in the day, right, right. Back in the day, it's so funny. Because back in the day, you know, uh, the E-Club on the base, was popping, popping, mm -hmm. right? But it would be more girls from Memphis, from the city, in the E-Club than it would be girls from the base. Right. So Sundays, Sundays They're and They're trying Tuesdays, to get them right? a soldier, huh? Right, Sundays, and they were getting them, Sundays and Tuesdays. <laughs> so, you know, so, uh, and, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I had my little, first little girlfriend, and, and you know, she, she, she would drive up there, and, and she would take me back to the city. And then I realized, you know, coming into the city, oh, oh, it's a whole city. You know, it's a whole city here, you know, and, you know, and, you know, South, Southland Mall and Mall of Memphis and Raleigh Springs Mall at the time. And, you know, Raleigh Springs Mall was the corny mall, right? That's, you know, it was the white folks there and black sailors folks selling their uniforms. So I didn't want to go to that one. I wanted to go to the Mall of Memphis, mm -hmm. Southland Mall. I missed the Mall of Memphis. Yeah, yeah, man. I missed the Mall of Memphis. You know, Overton Park back in the day was yeah. crazy, you know, and it was a different park back then. Mm -hmm. And um and you know and so that all of that stuff was you know I, I learned to love Memphis and 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 and, you, and I learned to love Memphis and I, what I saw in Memphis honestly back in 1986 and 87 when I was here I, I left in early 87 what I saw in Memphis I said it's it's a city but it's still virgin mm -hmm. you know it was so much that could be done this wasn't in L.A. or or Oakland or San Francisco or you know in, or Houston. You know where everything they are already you, you can't you almost couldn't come up with anything new in the markets right and uh and so that's what i saw in memphis i said man this is an there's a great opportunity here you know in, in music business a great opportunity and in, in innovation a great opportunity if, you, if you're just a little bit progressive and so you know i, I left here um left memphis lived in the carolinas for a couple of years and and then lived in japan for a year and then I, I chose to come back here uh, to stay, you know, after after I got out of the Marine Corps. Why did you choose to come back to live? Um, you know, because it was virgin. Because it was virgin, there was a lot of opportunity here. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I had job offers um, in uh, Bermuda. I had a job offer in, in Oakland. I was really giving that some real consideration, thinking about going back to Oakland. And then I had a job offer here, you know, on the base fire department, you know, uh, you know, doing crash fire and rescue work you know and so and so I took that plus you know the factor in the fact that I didn't have a lot of money to move to that, that helped with the decision too so yeah. so yeah I um I stayed and uh, but but I but I always thought I said there's a there's an opportunity here because it's it's, it's still it's still untapped seriously it's a whole city now I, I but know. it's still untapped it's still a and lot untapped you hear it's me. Still, yeah yeah but but you know <laughs> and I, I I always tell people you know anytime I have my friends that come in from out of the market, they come in from, you know, New York, Philadelphia, LA, wherever. People fall in love with Memphis. It's, there's a, there's an allure here, uh, a draw. Memphis is very charismatic mm -hmm. and uh, people fall in love with it, with the city and, and you know, and, and tend to want to be here. And I was one of those people too. And I still love the city. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was your uh, welcome to Memphis and, and why you decided to stay here in you know the the city that got your minds 
Uh, right, 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 okay. right, 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 right. Yeah, you know, and, and that's that's the, that's the thing about Memphis, though. It's so innovative, man. I'm, yeah. And let me tell this story. I got to tell this story. So remember, so I'm 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 in the Marine Corps right now. I done, I done moved to the Carolinas, right? So this is 1987, between 87 and 89. And so I was coming back and forth to Memphis, right? Coming back and forth to Memphis. I had a girlfriend here, right? And so I came back to Memphis. I, I think I had been gone for a few months. Came back to Memphis. I, I was driving 13 hours in a little Mustang from the coast into Memphis. Came back to Memphis. Went to doggone Club No Name. Uh-oh. Right? Club No Names. The Razor J and Spanish Fly. Yeah. And so I'm in No Name, right? Now, I'm in No Name. I'm the only, I'm the odd person in No Name. Because I had military haircut and a military coat on right and um everybody else in there had curls and gold teeth right <laughs> and, and so i go in there and i see them and they're doing this thing right this thing where they're walking around in a circle right yeah. around in a circle and i'm like <laughs> i'm serious I'm, I'm giving you the honest to god truth watch this i'm looking at this i'm standing up there i'm the odd person now i was really going for the teeny weeny bikini contest right but they wasn't doing that no more so okay. the loop music was was over, right? right? This is, now it has shifted into something else, and I'm watching them walk around in this circle, and I'm like, man, what the fuck is this? This looks like a, a witchcraft ritual or something. <laughs> They're walking around. I'm serious. This is what's going through my head. I'm like, what in the crazy ass shit is this? It was gangster walking. It was gangster walking. It was the most innovative thing I had ever seen in my life. And I went back to North Carolina, <laughs> and I tried to explain it to them. I could not explain it. You had to show it to them. But they, nobody got it. I went to Texas for my family reunion. I tried to explain it to them. Nobody understood what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. I said, "You, you gotta see this. There are there are things about Memphis that you can't you can't even capture on film properly unless you just literally in the moment that is happening." That's such true. as such as um, Rayfords back in the day went to Rayfords for the first time and, and the smoke was down to here down to the floor everybody had a blunt and a, and a joint and, and all of the women yeah. in a 40 ounce and, and, and Rayford had on this cape and he had on his headband and he had on and he was playing music out the crates that I hadn't heard since the 70s. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, we're, and he's playing it on vinyl, right? And I'm like, you can't, you can't, you can't duplicate this. Right. You, right. you can't duplicate this, 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 this energy or this atmosphere. And it's hard. You can't, it, when you try to describe it to people, it's such an innovative culture. It's such a different culture in Memphis. And when you try to explain it to people, all you can do is say, you gotta, you gotta come. You gotta come and see it for yourself. That's true. Because it's totally, totally different. And what's, what, what was good for me was, I'm an outsider, right? And, and, and you know, being an outsider, I think I appreciate it more than the people that have been here all their lives, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and you know, and I, I, I explained it with my excitement and energy and, and everybody else, oh, yeah, this is Ray Fritz and, you know, it's just Studio G and, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 yeah. and, and Club Memphis and, man, I'm like, y'all, y'all don't understand, man. So I watched, you know, the, the Al Capones and the Eight Balls and MJGs yes. and the 
DJ Squeakies and and all of these in Spanish Fly. I sat Spanish Fly down in my living room for three hours and explained to him why he needed to write his book right now before he mm. before he leaves this earth because it was them breaking Trigger Man, the Trigger Man song. They yeah. broke it in no name that caused men to stop dancing with women in the club because it slowed everything down. Mm-hmm. And it and it and it and it went. It covered the whole South. And it changed the game in the music business. Yeah. I mean, completely changed the game in the music business because I remember the, the trigger men have gone into my music business part now. I remember I was in 1986, I was on the bass, and I never forget, I bought this compilation album because Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince was on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I had the cassette. But on the B side, the last song on the B side of this compilation album was Trigger Man. Yeah. They were from New York. Right, so so, and but flying them broke the song. The song came out in '85, but flying them broke the song in '88 or '87. Mm-hmm. It didn't. Trick Man didn't get on for years after the song was out, and they got on because of Memphis, because of Spanish Fly, Ray J, and then Squeaking them start sampling it. They start doing tracks. They start rapping to it. They start then then New Orleans took it and ran with it. You know, they with all the bounce music. And yeah. then, you know, and then everything, all of the music started slowing down. The tempo started slowing down. We went from the loop tempos to the trigger man tempos to where we are now. Yes. But it, but it was started with the innovation here. Right. That's true. I mean, it, music yeah. is so deeply rooted in Memphis. So tell me yeah. about your involvement in the music business. So, yeah. So, so here I come, you know, I, I did my first demo right there in the morning in 240. In the bank's Banks building at the top of it, right? And I had this idea. It's so funny, you know, because I was trying to rap at the time, right? You were trying to be a rapper. I was trying to rap. I was trying to rap. I really wanted to do my demo in, in Japan, but I couldn't get them to understand what I wanted, right? So, so I, mean, I left Japan, and now I'm Memphis, and, and I want to do this demo, and, and I had this idea. And so uh, my first encounter was with a dude, and he, he took some money from me. He got me, right? You know, I had to learn from music. And then I got with his other characters, play on that stuff and stuff like that. You know, he could play, you know, kind of generally what I wanted, but I still could get what I wanted. But I did my first demo up there. Uh, and then I, I got with uh, Reggie Boyle, who had OTS records at the time, and he had Jazz Sign here against the Pad at the time. Yeah, yeah. And he had Jazz Sign, Big Ball, and MJG. And, uh, you know, you know so, so I was in there, there uh, and, and, you know, it's so funny because I'm doing a little music history of Memphis. I was in there, we were all on park at OTS when Pretty Tony was writing his song, Get Buck. What? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I remember writing it on a piece of paper. I was looking, looking at it, standing there, and some of the producers sliced tea in. Dude named Rod, Mac Rod, we call him Mac Rod. They were in there, and Pretty Tony kept on calling his name. And you know, it was, you know, it was, he kept on calling his name. I remember Spice T saying, "Hey, don't don't call your name so much." But then he put that little song out, get booked. Remember that? I don't even remember that. He put that little song out on a dirty tape, and it went. Wow, it just was lit. It went, it caught fire, and Hammer. MC Hammer, remember that? He picked it up, picked up the get bug. Right, right. But yeah, and so and so it spread. You know, again, nationally, and they came from pretty pretty in this little dirty cassette. You know, with him rapping on it. And he wasn't a great rapper, but he used to always be at the club and no name in his green Mercedes Benz. 
right? right. <laughs> you know, right. old school with the windshield wipers that was on the headlights, right? right. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah. And so, and so anyway, I, 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 was, I was trying to do my, do my demo, and, um, you know, I, I ended up, because, you know, uh, they couldn't deliver what I wanted. You know, I started piecing together recording studios. And, and, and then, you know, eventually I got a, uh, built enough of a studio to where, you know, I never did. I recorded that, that same track that I wanted for my first demo, recorded that track in my daughter's bedroom, and I was rapping on I was now doing track because I can get what I'm producing now. And I was producing my brother and, and, and a couple other artists. And we and I did that we did that song is called Yayo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and we got a deal with RC Records. Wow. To the point that we recorded this song and mixed this song in my daughter's bedroom. They didn't even want to mess with the mix, they wanted it just as it was mixed. And so yeah, we we, we shot the shot video to it in LA and, and it was it was a real record deal. And, uh, and uh, 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 I don't know if you remember uh, uh, Jay, Jay Jesse Smith, but Jay used to do all of the Rough Rock videos. He was the, the person, he directed and shot our video also. And, um, and so we were on the deal with our series records at the time in early 2000 and, and or late 90s and, and RCA Records decided they didn't want to be a black music man at that time. Wow. And so, they, so we were released. But here's the artist. We were released. Tyrese was released. Tyrese was MTV VJ at the time. Mm -hmm. SWV was out. Um, Black Street was out. Um, and then you had a bunch of them that were on Loud Records that was part of RCA, Wu-Tang, and 3-6 Mafia, and all of them. All of them were out. And um, and the only ones that they kept was um, NSYNC and Christina Aguilera. But mm -hmm. they kept the Jive label. They kept the Jive label, which had R. Kelly and UGK, right? And so, and so, you know, and it, and it was a great experience. But what it taught me, and you know, I'm never bitter at a loss, and, and, and you know, when you lose, I, I, it's it, to me, it's a, it's a teaching experience. And what we started doing from there was was um, um, producing, pressing, and selling our own CDs and getting all of our money. And okay. so, so, and so, that's what we did from from that moment on. And okay. and even and then and then of course politics took over. And so, but, yeah. but, I'm still, but I'm still in music. I still, I got, we're, we're literally building a new studio right now. And I still, I'm still doing tracks and looking for, you know, good R&B artists, female R&B artists to, to, to do some production on. Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds like you have a good ear for music. So you, you gotta uh, keep me informed. Cause you know, I have a, a R&B show on WYXR at Crosstown. It's called Musically oh, wow. Effective. Mm -hmm. it, it, and I do straight R&B from old mm -hmm. to new. So keep posted. Yeah, I love it. And in that, let me just tell you that before we move on, in that space also, and so I'm gonna give you the bridge of how, how we got into politics. In that space uh, of being in the music business, I, I was appointed to the Memphis and Shelby County Music Commission by uh, Mayor Harrington. And, and, and within, I think about two years or so, then I became the chair of the music commission. And then there was a space where, where I ran the music commission and, um, and so I don't know if you know Johnny Walker. I recruited and hired Johnny Walker and brought her to the city. Okay. You know, yeah. And uh, and there was a lot of political tension that where there was some people that didn't want her to be the head of music commission. And so that was my first, you know, introduction into politics. And, wow. And then from there, you know, I was serving on on several boards. You know, music commission, rock and soul, and 
and, and some others. And, and, and I um, eventually, you know, got out of the boards and started focusing all my energy in my area that I live. And that's how, because I had to navigate the waters of city and county government, city and county mayor's office to make sure that they kept the funding coming to the music commission at the time. So, you know, talking to them and learning and meeting these, you know, politicians and, you know, and, 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 and fighting for support and building relationships. And so it, it created, it made me see, I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is where the power is. Okay. Yeah, okay. this is where the power is. This is where the decisions are being made by those people that are the rule makers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the rule makers, you know, hold the power to, you know, how things are supposed to go and things are supposed to lay out. And so, wow, you know. that's interesting how you got into politics. Now, you are a state representative for, for Tennessee District 98, and you've been in this role about 11 years now, right? Yeah, it'll be 11 years in January. Was that your first role in a political um, position or no? So, so no. So it's, it's funny. It's interesting because when I was chairing the music commission, I was about to run for city council. And you know there were some some things that were going on in, in Memphis music business where the business community uh, wanted to uh, take over, basically commandeer the entire music music industry under their you know um, guidance, so to speak. And but you know, but at the time, as when I was the chair of the music commission, I didn't agree with that because because I, I knew who built the music industry in Memphis, right? And it was really almost exclusive of the people that actually built the industry. And so, so, and I'm trying to say this in a nice way. So you had a group of white folks that, 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 that wanted to commandeer the industry because they seen, seen the money of hustling mm-hmm. flowing, the money of, you know, the three, six mafia and, and all these folks were generating and they wanted to try to pull it in and, you know, have, you know, get some control over it. I, I just didn't agree with it fundamentally. And, and and part of that meant that they didn't want Johnny Walker to head this up. They wanted this white guy to head up, Dean Dale, who used to run Comcast at the time. Wow. And so and my thing was, my compromise was, let's let them both do it. Let Dean go get the checks since he can get the checks for y'all. And Johnny Walker has the music industry know-how. She had been working for Russell Simmons and Def Jam and all of this stuff. Let them both, let it be a two-headed monster and we, we can kill it. They didn't want that. They wanted their person. And so and so when when I disagreed with that, you know, they started funding my opponent to the hilt uh, and to the tune of, uh, I think it was hundreds of thousands of dollars for that city council race. And, and, and I didn't win that race, you know, but a year and a half later, I was elected to the state, which okay. was, is actually higher. And so, you know, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never bitter at, at losses because there's purpose in everything. You don't know why you're losing. You don't know why it's happening. But I wasn't supposed to be there. I was supposed to be a state representative oh, whose, whose power is equal to that of the governor of the state of Tennessee, not city council. Right. Baby, you just so, skipped on up. You skipped right, right on right. up. You, yeah. you got where you needed to be. And right. you know what? There may be people that don't know what a state representative does for Tennessee. Right. Can you kind of let us know at a high level, Mr. Parkinson, exactly what you do, the, the kind of decisions that you make, the things that you see on a day-to-day basis. Talk to us about that. Right. I'm glad you asked that because I, I, I want people to understand and no matter where you are listening to this podcast, your state elections are the most important. I'm going to tell you, even more important than that of the presidential election. Mm. But vote in every election. 
vote in every election. I don't care if it's your school board or if you're PTA or if it's your presidential or your state or your city council, county commission, the county mayor, whatever, vote in all of them. But let me tell you why your state elections are important. Uh, and before I get to the duties of what we do, your state elections are important because when you pay your taxes, your taxes, when you pay your income taxes, they go to the federal government. The federal government then, or Washington, D.C., the federal government then sends the money back to the state for distribution, whether it's to your, your neighborhoods or your schools or whatever, right? Then secondly, when you pay your sales tax, you buy a bag of chips, that money is going to the state, right? And that pile of money, we decide where that money goes, whether it's to your schools, to your neighborhoods, you know, or to your city for distribution to your neighborhoods. It's like a big pyramid, right? And so that's what that's the key. You know, so that's that's when we say when you hear somebody using a buzzword, allocating resources, we're talking about money. Mm -hmm. So so if you if you're and, and, and I'll, this is this is the litmus test. Does your neighborhood look like the affluent neighborhoods in your community? Does your child's school does their building look like the building in the white folks area? So this is what allocation of resources means. And so, and those resources need to be allocated as equally as possible. And so that's why it's so vitally important for you to vote in those state elections so you can get the people in place to allocate those resources. And we can't do it if we are outnumbered in the Capitol. So if we're outnumbered, you know, and it's more Republicans than it is Democrats or whatever, whatever your choice is, then we can't win because it's about, it's a representative form of government. It's about who has the numbers. Now, let me tell you what our job is. Uh, we, got, we got two constitutional duties. One is to pass laws. The other one is to pass the budget for the state. That's our constitutional duties. That's it. Pass now, pass but there's, the the right, there's two unspoken duties that I think are the most important. One is constituency services. Make sure that you're taking care of the people that, that's in your district. Um, and to educate, to educate people in regards to these policies that are coming down the line. Because what happens is all of this stuff is put in legal jargon. Hell, I don't even be understanding what this stuff is, what this stuff is saying in, in, in a lot of times. So I get the legal folks to meet me in my office so we can break all of these, every clause down of these laws that are being passed. Now, think about this. I'm a rule maker. I'm a lawmaker. The governor is not a lawmaker. Neither is the president. It's the legislators that make the rules. He who makes the rules is he or she who is in charge. Think about it. If you're, in, if, you're play, if you're in a contest and you're in a contest against the person that makes the rules for the contest. Okay. So okay. that's why it's so important for you to vote in your state elections for your state representatives and your state senators. It's vitally important because you need those numbers because we make, we make the laws. Let me tell you something. If you, and, and, and I will give you $100 right now and I cash it to you if you can tell me one thing that is not ruled by law. Just one. You ain't got enough time because every single thing, <laughs> every single thing that you do from the minute you put your feet on the floor, whether it's on carpet or hardwood, is ruled by law. Whether it's the material or how it's made, manufactured, is ruled by law. The air you breathe is ruled by a law. We're the lawmakers. How much time you get for a crime is ruled by a law. When your children start school, how much money is going to go into your school district? Ruled by a law. 
We are the lawmakers. Think about how much power that is. Yes. And you must have been doing a great job to be in this role for over 11 years, Mr. Parkinson. And I know that you probably made countless rules. What have been some of like the top three rules that you're most proud of for Tennessee? So one, uh, I don't know if you remember the story about, uh, I always bring her up. She's the most courageous woman that I've ever met. Her name is Kimberly Morton. Kimberly Morton went through a brutal rape and, uh, and the person almost killed her. Um, you know, it was a person that she knew, you know, um, he, he came down and, you know, she, he was normal. It was normal for him to come into her apartment. She he knew her family and everything. This happened in Memphis in, in Tulane apartments. And, uh, he, um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, raped her and, and, you know, wrapped cord around her, uh, phone cord around her neck, tried to kill her. She literally passed out. Uh, and, you know, and he was trying to uh, get rid of the DNA evidence. So he started pouring bleach on all of the wounds and stuff on her. And, 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 and you remember that? And, and, and the burns from the wounds really activated her, made her brain activity kick back in and it woke her up. The burns from the bleach, rather. I'm sorry. And she woke up. She had this phone cord around her neck. Had this knife sticking out of her side. And she managed to talk him into, you know, letting her live. And and you know, and she said she wouldn't tell anybody. And she managed to get outside of her apartment. And 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 she's still living today. And and but she went on. He he went to prison. And and he got out for early for good behavior. And so one of the, my very first big law that I passed was the Color Kimberly's law. And and it made it so that there were no loopholes for, for, you know, those that are convicted of aggravated rape to get out on good behavior. And so, so that was one of the first laws. They, they, you know, I was the only Democrat elected that year. That's my first year being elected. And, um, and, um, and they said, you'll never ever get that passed because it had a million dollar price tag. But when we, we, we had Kimberly in there before those committees and, and, you know, everybody's in there crying, hearing her story and, uh, you know, you know, we got that law passed, you know, and they said it would never in a million years with this Democrat, freshman Democrat, be able to get this law passed. So we're off to a good start. Wow. Uh, Kimberly's law, uh, that one, uh, Neighborhood Protection Act. Neighborhood Protection Act uh, allows you to kick repeat criminals out of your neighborhood. A lot of people don't know you can do that in Tennessee. So you got somebody that lives, I don't care if they're even a homeowner, if they bought a house in your neighborhood. And they victimized in your neighborhood and they, be, they got convicted of it three times or victimized in your neighborhood three times. You can actually kick them out of your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you know, but you have to be a neighborhood association or a neighborhood watch group. You have to be formally organized. And the reason why we did that, there's actually a method to my madness. The reason why we did that is because we didn't want people to be able to retaliate on one person if they didn't like what happened. So it became the group kicking the person out, not the, you know, an individual. And okay. so, so yeah, so that, and then one of the one, the last one, just this last one, but there's more. But this last one, um, um, well, one of the last two I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about one that didn't pass, but but this last one, uh, we broke up the, the cosmetology industry in Tennessee, and, and, and we made it so that you don't have to go out and get a $15,000, loan to go to cosmetology school in Tennessee if you want to do natural hair or if you want to do aesthetics or if you want to do manicuring. So we made it so so that you can open up specialty schools specifically for those 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 genres of of, uh, of the cosmetology industry. And so and so we passed it. So funny because when I passed that law, we passed it unanimously in the House, unanimously in the Senate, and signed it. We did a, a, a 
one of those picture signings of the law uh, with Governor Haslam and you know on camera and all of this stuff, right? And uh, and then there there were there were sixty about sixty white uh, cosmetology school owners across the state of Tennessee. They found out about it, but they found out about it a little bit too late because I had already passed it and they were up in arms because, you know, they had been controlling the cosmetology industry for all of these years, right? Mm -hmm. And But you had people, what was happening was you had these young men and women that were going into cosmetology school and being told to go out and get you a $20,000 loan, use, you know, $3,000, $4,000 so you get your car, this, that, and other, miss it off, right, basically. But give us the other Seven, fifteen to seventeen thousand. That's gonna pay for your school whether you graduate or not, right? Mm-hmm. Now you got these student loans, but you only want to go for natural hair. Right. The natural hair portion of it was only three hundred hours. Mm-hmm. You go into a fifteen hundred hour uh, program, and you only want to do natural hair, right? And and then and then the other thing was they were coming out of there sometimes taking the test, sometimes not not passing, sometimes getting getting you know a job at a, a salon, sometimes not, and they were still stuck with these loans. And so when we passed that, I also passed with it the apprenticeship program. So which means that whether you go to full cost or go to natural hair school for 300 hours or go to institution school or go to Medicare school, you can go to school half the time and pass your written and then go work in a salon the other half and get your practical and make money. Okay. And it allowed, it would allow the salon owners or the nail shop owners to vet the students for a possible permanent position. So, you know, I wanted them to be able to get money so they can pay for their school, you know, while they're going to school. Plus, from a marketing standpoint, you can build your clientele while you're in school. Okay. So, and so that's, that's one of my proudest pieces of legislation, mm. uh, you know, uh, that, that bill. But uh, I'm, I'm the only person in the history, this is the last one I talked about, I'm the only person in the history of the state of Tennessee to get a marijuana bill to the House floor. What? Yeah, yeah, what? right, right. Wait, well, that made, that lit you up, right? That lit you up. <laughs> yeah. You did so, what? So, right, right. So, so I, I, I got this bill to the House floor, and 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 what it did was it removed the felony from small amounts of marijuana, because under Tennessee law now, if you have anything over a half an ounce of marijuana, up to ten pounds of marijuana, up to ten bricks. Right. right, it's the same penalty. So if you got a if you got a half an ounce in your in your in your pocket, and then you have a a blunt in your ashtray, that's a little bit more than a half ounce. So you face the same penalty that somebody would if they had ten bricks sitting in their car. Right, and that's crazy. And now it's legal in so many states. Oh right, my god! Right, right, and not just that, but that penalty is the same penalty that somebody would face if they had killed somebody in the state of Tennessee. Why was that, why Why was that so heavy? Like why? It's still, it's, it's still that heavy because why? I, you know, I got the bill to the house floor, but you gotta have 50 votes for it to pass. And I had 44 votes, but it didn't fail. It was just kind of in the middle. So it didn't fail, but it didn't pass either. Right, and so, and so, you know, we 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 almost had it, and and my here here but here's my reasoning for that, right? For for working for, and I'm gonna run that bill again this year coming up. But why isn't it passing though? Like, why why are they voting against it? Is it because, because they want to keep the black folks in jail? Well, uh, you know that that could be part of the reason, but but I think 
you, you got such you got you got a you got a handful of people, you know, at the at the state capitol that's still holding on to them old beliefs. It's the gateway drug, this, that, and other, that old dated shit. And you know, and so oh, what they man. do is they get the police association, not police association, but the police chiefs association, the sheriff's associations, and all of these people to come out and, and lobby against it. You know, and so when they get up there, they make all they bring a bag of marijuana. It's so funny. They brought a bag of marijuana joints. And, it was, and they said, this is how many joints you can get out of an ounce of weed. They probably lying, right? And then I said, I, and I told them, I said, man, who who in the hell smokes joints? Right. I said, no, nobody even smokes joints. You know, they, everybody smokes blunts now. Y'all, y'all shit is dated, you know. So, you know, and, and, and but but here here was my thing. My thing is this. There are people, there are people that want access to marijuana for medicinal purposes. Right. Even even for their babies. You got babies that are suffering from seizures and and you know and, and these 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 diseases and and you know and you got elderly people, you got military people coming out with PTSD and this, that, and other, so on and so forth. And we're making felons out of them. We're making felons out of somebody's grandmother or somebody that a mother that's trying to you know, you know, use marijuana in a recipe to so that her baby stays calm, so that the, the seizures go away, and 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 these things are proven. And and you know, you still have people that are holding on to that old adage, um, "We are, um, you know, we're not going to do that in the state of Tennessee." And what's sad about that is this: we're being surrounded by the states around us that are passing. Uh, you know, legislation that exactly. legalize it from a medicinal standpoint or recreational standpoint. And, you know, more than half over, oh, it's over 30 some states. I mean, Mississippi, for Christ's sake, who the hell wants to be behind Mississippi? Yeah, behind in anything. In, in anything. <laughs> Look, anything, we just voted know. on that because I yeah, live right, in right. County. We just voted on that and it passed to my. Right. And, it, and it's shameful. Surprise. It's shameful that we trail Mississippi in any damn thing. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's so funny. One of one of the jokes that I make, and they can't stand it when I when I make a joke in there. And I, I'm like, yeah, y'all want to build this wall, y'all y'all you Trump supporters, y'all want to build this wall. I say, Let, yeah, let's build the damn wall, but let's build it on state line road. So this okay. Folks miss- <laughs> okay, right, right, right. That's amazing. Like yeah. how how backwards you know people can be about decisions that affect so many people and right. it's been going on for so long so i know that you've seen so much during your time as a you know state representative and like you said it comes with a lot of power it comes with a lot of influence and i know people are probably you know blowing you up about some of the things that they want to see change some of the things that they want done how do you balance you know i guess you know, the type of decisions that you want to go for and that the ones that you're, you're going to go for later, you know, how do you balance that? You know, you know I or prioritize. Yeah, 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 yeah. I prioritize, um, uh, you know, that training, that training that I had and growing up and, and you know, being homeless and, and you know, and, and seeing all the crazy stuff, you know, um, you know, that, that, you know, again, I, I, I always go back to this purpose and everything, you know, it, it said, uh, you know, we survived these things for a reason, right? And people, you know, you don't understand it, but when, when you, when you grasp that, 
idea that you survived it for a reason to help someone to bless someone to make something better you know uh, you you understand the, the full purpose in that and so those things become the priority education is is priority for me yeah. education making sure that you know we have quality schools making sure that um uh, you know we have the resources that are that are needed in our school making sure that that these folks ain't, are not exploiting the black and brown children for a profit under the auspices of education. Right. Uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, I, I was one of the biggest, uh, probably the face of the depth of the achievement school district, which is state-run school district, and that was nothing but uh, making black and brown kids commodities again and putting a price on their head. You know, all of these out of town, out of town charters that were coming in, becoming state-run achievement school districts that were failing our children were getting $10,500 per head. And when I uncovered that, I understood their real motivation because this is, and I told them, y'all have created the new slave trade because you have made the black and brown children a new commodity. And there's a land rush or a head rush going to go ahead and take over these schools in Memphis because do the math. If you got a thousand kids in the school and you're getting $10,500 per head, that's a million five every year. Mm. Do the math. Oh, they hated it when I told them it's the new slave trade. Oh my God, you think I set somebody's grandmother on fire. Okay. How dare you? Yes, dare I. Yeah, because that's what it is. Show me, show, show me the lie. Right. Show me the lie. Because oh, that's yeah. what you got, that's what y'all are doing. And so, you know, education, uh, criminal justice reform. You know, and making sure that that you know um, um, that that we have, you know, that we get the resources. You know, we're taxpayers. You know, black people are taxpayers, and so uh, they they should they should get a fair share of those taxes when they distribute it. And so that's that's those are my priorities. Wow, that's amazing. Um, just listening to the type of decisions uh, that, that you really have to sit down and figure out and work with groups of people to get things done. I know the work is hard. Is, is it hard or is it something that you've over the 11 years gotten used to, or is it something that, you know, you have to gauge on a daily basis? You know, you know, you know, it's, it's the navigation that can, that can be a little hard sometimes navigating those waters, you know, and especially being in a in a in a in a in a legislature that is you're in a super minority, you know, and you got all these white rural Republicans that are, that are in there, and getting them to understand your truth, holy shit, that's that's the that's the part that's the part. And so you know, the thing there, there's this thing called white uh, fragility. You know, when you you know when you start talking about things that are important to you. And they feel like you know they're being attacked by you saying, by you speaking your truth, and you're not trying to attack anyone. You're just trying to get them to get people to understand why your policy is oppressive, or why is how it hurts right. my people, or how you know um, um, is is you know what you're doing. I know you may think that you're you're doing some good you know, for our people, but really you're harming our people. You know, we, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't we need, need you to, you know, you know, come in and save the day. What we need is, is the resources to be able to save ourselves because we pay into those resources. You know, um, 
Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's some of, you know, what we deal with and just getting, you know, uh, you know, for instance, one of the bills that was passed this last session was a bill that would punish people that are protesting. That's right? crazy. And, 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 and it's unbelievable. And, and, and man, you're talking about a big blow up, man. That man, the whole house, Tennessee house just, man, I thought we were going to be strangling each other in there because I'm trying to get them to understand, look, man, you, you, you trying to punish protesters, but you're not doing, you're not working on any legislation that addresses the reason why they out there protesting. Okay. Who the fuck wants to be protesting? Right. Nobody want to have to do that shit, you know? Right. So, right. so, you know, if, if someone is taking the time out of their life to march up and down these streets, they have to really, really be upset or have a reason why they're out there doing this. They can be with their children, right. you know, and, and you look at the, the, the issues, you know, on how, you know, poor people are affected. And, you know, I remember, I remember, for example, you know, in Tennessee House, they want to make the Bible the state book of Tennessee. <laughs> what? And, 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 right. And, and to me, and I told them, and I told them on the House floor, and, and, you know, for all of you that are listening, make sure you follow that TN Rep Parkinson so you can see the video from some of this stuff. Make sure and, you, you know, take YouTube, them out. Yeah, right. Because, because, you know, I got on, I said, y'all, this reminds me of when the, it was the Pharisee or the Sadducee, they was in the temple praying loud so people could see them praying. And hear them praying, and, and then they're looking over at the little poor little lady who's praying quietly and, and praying loud and saying, "Oh Lord, you know all this shit. Don't let me be like her." And, That's you know, right. Because, you know, and so I'm like, "Look, you don't have to make the Bible the State Book of Tennessee if you actually operate in the principles that's in the Bible, right? Because you're the same person or the same people that voted against people having insurance, and we got the ability to provide it." So you you're not even giving people an opportunity to live, but you want to hold this book up and say we're holier than thou. We we made the Bible the state book of Tennessee. Man, we all sit your asses down. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and it's so it's so hypocritical. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, and in in some cases, and and the killer part is here's the here's this is the craziest part of this whole thing. The craziest part is you know look we're we're I think we are. What are we, 20, are we even 27% in the state of Tennessee? We might be, I, I think we may be, uh, or is it 12%? We, I forgot what the percentage of black folks are in Tennessee. So, but 75% but of them black folks live in Shelby County and across the whole state. Think about what I'm saying. 75% of the black folks in the entire state of Tennessee live in Shelby County. So hmm. we're in this little blue island in the corner over here. And once you come out of here, you're in no man's land, right? And so you got, when, when, when they do pass these laws of not giving people insurance, this, that, and other, yes, it's affecting the black folks, but the majority of these folks that's being affected are white folks. But them same white folks without the insurance and the bad education and the meth problems and the opioid problems, turn around and vote these same folks in office that are cutting, that are taking the food off their table and cutting their throats. That's crazy. But it, but it goes to show you that race is more important than the future of your kids because you still vote the same people in that's cutting your throat and taking the money off your table. They they continue to do that. And, and it does seem like we're making strides with 
getting fresh blood into some of these, um, you know, political seats now, which is great. But a lot of the, you know, <laughs> the same people that have been there for so long that right. haven't been progressive at all in their thoughts and, and their ideals are still in there. So, you know, I know we got a lot of work to do. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had your life threatened in this role? I have. It's so funny. It's, I, I, how did you know to even ask that? Because so I, I could only imagine because of the right. power that you have, I would think somebody probably might have been sitting outside your house with a shotgun, maybe. Well, you know, I shoot back. That's the that's probably the issue. I'm a Marine, baby. Look, hey, I'm a pro-gun Democrat, so I'm 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 a little bit different. Um, but it's so funny because you remember when they spray painted on on the wall at Graceland? Yeah. Remember that? So so I, I said I said <laughs> I said it in, in uh, Impressed, you know. I'm always I'm, I'm a straight shooter. So the the the, the good thing the I, I think about myself is you don't ever have to guess where I am. I'm always telling where I am. I'm straight with you, regardless of where you are. I'm straight with you, and I appreciate people that shoot straight back. I don't care if you're racist. You're racist. Be racist. Now listen, I got a wonder what you're racist. You know, I can appreciate that. So there's spray painting, BLM, and all this stuff on the wall of race at Elmhurst House, and I said. They were all on the painted on the wall. And I said, I'm like, wait a minute. People write graffiti on the wall at Bracelet every day. It's always been graffiti on the wall. I said, so what are you really mad about? You can't be mad about graffiti on the wall because there's always graffiti. You're really mad about what the message that was on the wall. And so, instead of them being honest about what they were mad about, they got mad at me. All of the Elvis folks, right? And it's so, it's so funny. So, they, I was like, they started like, hitting me in the inbox, hitting me on my email. Who can play with Elvis? You cannot play. That's one thing I learned. You cannot play with Elvis. Press me around. Elvis was a hero to most. Why? But he never meant Right. But anyway, so they started calling calling off and someone said,
And some and people some may people have made thought, thought that they, they probably, probably wouldn't have had it this year, year because of COVID, COVID the, numbers the numbers are rising, rising it's such a substantial, substantial rate, and the and party, party happened. happened. And, and, you know, you on know, social media, media everyone's, everyone's looking, looking at, at um, every, every, all, all the, the, you know, you know visuals, visuals where people, people weren't wearing, wearing masks, masks uh, everybody, everybody was pretty, pretty much on top, on top of, of each other, other things, things of that, of that nature. nature. Um, um, and, and they're giving, they're you know, you know Curtis, Curtis a lot of slack right now. I watch the news daily. They still talking about it. What are your thoughts on, you know, the recent, the recent they're calling, they're calling it a COVID, a COVID spreader, spreader uh, the, uh, the all black, black affair, affair and, and her decision to actually have that party. party. And, I guess, and I guess you know, you know people, people really have free will to go wherever they want to go. So, what what happened? Have you talked to Curtis? What's going on? And I did talk to Curtis, and you know, and you know, we had a good and spirited conversation, and so and I respect him for that, you know. And, and, you know, you one know, of the things I told him, him, you know, first, first of all, I want to talk to him first because the news was calling him. And I didn't want to go on the news without talk, having to talk to him, not to let him know that I'm down on the news, but to hear, you know, what he has to say, you know, if he wanted to say anything to me before I talk to him. Like, hey, this is just being prudent, you know, before you get out there and, and run off the mouth about, you know, things. You know, I want to see, you want to hear from all sides. I come from, you know, being a legislator, you want to hear from all sides of this. And so, you know, you know, I expressed to him, you know, it was an uncut conversation. You know, with no politics, I don't play politics and try not to in any conversation. You know, I expressed to him, I said, you know, the time. I said, it's the worst time, you know, you know, you know, because it can be a super spreader. There's no doubt in my mind. That's what I told him. Uh, and, 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 you know, but, but he made some extremely valuable and valid points. Uh, one is, you know, he told me that he, you know, he, put, he did a lot of stuff to, you know, to make it, uh, you know, uh, as safe as possible. You know, like he required a mask and, and he uh, had hand sanitizers and he tried to face it out as much as possible. And, you know, he had the, the, the bubble or the tent and the, 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 the club itself in it, it's five pounds square foot patio space to make it make as good as people can, you know, spread out as much as possible. Uh, he, he did express also that, you know, in the, in the last 10 minutes of it, because he shut the DJ down inside the club, oh, this is where I'm understanding, he shut the DJ down inside the club because they were supposed to be closed by 10. And he, got, he shut it down by 10. He said, but what he didn't anticipate was people from the inside of the club, once they shut the DJ down inside, going into the camp area, and they got a lot more lively for that last 10 minutes. And that's where you see a lot of video from, right? And, and he said, uh, you know, I, he, he said, I honestly didn't anticipate that. Didn't plan for that, right? And, um, and, and, but he made some other valid points, which I think are important. The fact that he said, when he said, when he told me that the, Members of the COVID nineteen uh, COVID uh, uh, task force were on site. You know, at, at oh, they, were they, were they were there. They were on site at eight thirty. Oh, yeah, or nine thirty, whatever time it was. I said, "What's good? Whatever. There's nothing else to talk about." They were there. They didn't shut it down, right? And, right? and the Memphis police officers were there on site. Did they stay the entire time? 
Or they just the, the, COVID, the COVID folks came twice before the event and during the event. Okay. And uh, the, the mixed police department, I thought they were on site. I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking they were on site the whole time. And so, you know, you had that, and, and then they did this. And, and, and this, is, this, this is why I'm saying this is a valid point. You got, you got, uh, you got daily gatherings, large amounts of people happening every day. You look at FedEx, you look at, you know, these warehouses, you look at the these logistics operations. You know, uh, and all of those things. And, and, and granted, maybe they have things in place, like you got to wear a mask, this and other, you know, uh, you know, but there are, and then in fact, the, the just gatherings in the different houses, this was Thanksgiving, right? And so the gatherings of people in their houses and, and different things like that. And so he said, man, you can't solely place this on my shoulders alone. No, and, and, and I think yeah, he's absolutely right. Again, I go back to timing. I agree with the timing of what you were doing, right? But he still made valid points that, you know, because there are these things, there are things that are happening all over, you know, Shelby County that are causing the bump also. And so, so you know, I, I explained to him, I said, well, you know, your, your points are very, very, very valid. You know, you know, and so, and so my thing is, is if the county or the COVID-19 task force or whatever, you know, if they were present, then either they dropped the ball or they need to tighten up what those policies are going to be for gatherings in Shelby County. Now, I think that honestly, the mandates should, be, should have been coming from the Trump administration. Mm. as to what this looks like and what this is going to be so we can get through this. But they didn't. They failed. The, our governor uh, is, is taking the, is, is working right out of the Trump playbook in regards to the state of Tennessee. So there's a failure there. And, and then I look at, uh, you know, what's happening locally. So this is where it is. No, the cavalry is not going to come to save us, Black people. Let me look at this camera. This is vitally important for you to exercise personal responsibility. Because like Curtis Gibbons said, he made the venue available, but he did not hold a gun to anyone's head to be at that event. He didn't hold a gun to anyone's head to take their mask off. And so we have to exercise personal responsibility when it comes to taking care of our own. And, and, and you know, and I'm so, what, you know, this is the dilemma that I have as a legislator. We, 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 we're always, in a lot of cases, we're asking people to come in and do it for us. When honestly, honestly, everything just about that, that, that is going on, and I'm talking about from the police shootings to, to COVID-19 survival to economic empowerment is within our power to control. Let me give you an example. And, uh, this is what happens. And y'all don't run me off of rakes and pitchforks. Don't beat me up for what, for what I'm about to say. Every time there's a police shooting, we go out in the streets and we protest and we get mad and we talk about it on Facebook, right? And on social media. And then they know because we're the most studied, we're the most... Uh, a study group of humans on God's earth. We've been under the microscope yes, and in are. the Petri dish more than anybody. So they know exactly what we're going to do before we do it. So their strategy is 
Let them march, let them burn. That shit is insured anyway. We're going to build it. We might build it back there. We might build it somewhere else because it's all insured. Let them march. But guess what? They're going to stop marching at some point and they are then going to forget about Trayvon Martin, about Tamir Rice, about the George Floyd deal. How many posts have you seen about George Floyd from black folks on social media in the last month? No, that's over with. Thank you. So, so they know that eventually we're going to go back to being black folks, right? And killing each other, right? And so, so since they know that, the cycle will repeat again. And somebody, another black person will be shot and killed by an officer, probably before the year's out. Probably already has, right? And we're going to get back up and we're going to do this, repeat the same thing again. Now, I have no issue with people marching and protesting. It's great for awareness. Now, but the real issue is the follow-through. Number one, I, I put out five points of what we should do. You want to stop police shootings? Five points. Number one, have eight, every 18 to 34-year-old black man go out and get their gun license, get their weapon, get their guns, and be a licensed carrier. Number one, you have the right to defend yourself. If you're in, you have the right to defend yourself. Number two, I'm not telling you to go out and shoot a police officer. I'm not telling you that. But I am a licensed carrier. I've been through the training. You know, and so I'm licensed to carry. I'm not gonna let you just, you're not gonna just choke me out. Right. You know, so that that that, that shit ain't gonna happen. So we're gonna we're gonna either talk about this cordially, or we're, you know we're gonna do something else. But you ain't gonna choke me out. And now number two is vote, vote, register your whole family to vote and vote. And look, if you are a convicted felon and you don't have the right to vote then guess what your, your job is? Your job is to get grandma, daughter, son, nephew, the neighbors, pile them in the car, and take their asses to vote. That's your job. You're transportation. Bang. They can vote in your interest for you. Right. right? Number three, and most important, direct your money. So, hey, every elected official, every politician, every person that, that, is, that uh, holds a seat, is backed by some money somewhere. Yeah. And so so if you want to dry them up, this is how, look, this is the example. You know how they dried up, the, how they stopped the Vietnam War? Mm -hmm. Congress said, pull the plug on the money. If you ain't got no money, you can't fund the war. That's true. You ain't got no money, you can't fund the policy. You can't get elected if you ain't got no money. And guess what? As soon as, for example, you know, Papa John's or, or, or Home Depot, they're big Trump supporters. If you really want to stop a Trump, then you drive his money. The first, the best, if, if you, if we ever, instead of protesting in the streets, protest this company, mm -hmm. right? And, and guess what? If you do a public lynching of a company, this is what's going to happen. All the rest of the company is going to fall in, fall in place. You see, think about it. NFL, all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter. All of a sudden. All of a just, sudden. Just forget right. everything that, uh, what's his name? Right, uh, Jerry Jones and all these folks that said, you know, about Neil and now everybody, everybody Neil. Hey, we're all going to Neil. Right now, really? When that money really? affected. When, when that, you when talk about that money, when you talk about pulling that money, it's all big. You know, let me, let me say this. Let me say this last thing. America, man, and, and I hope everybody that's listening gets this. If you ain't got nothing else in this in this podcast, get this. I want you to think about all of the shifts that have ever happened in America. See, 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 you can protest and, and yell BLM and, and you know, this, that, and other, but you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to the those those 
folks that's in charge. They ain't understanding. It's not like, well, 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 they ain't understanding that shit. Right. But because they speak a different language, they don't. It's not even English. It's not Spanish. It's not Charles Brown's teacher. They they speak capitalism. That's the only language. Watch this. America shifted on its axis, and then there was a new way of life in America four times in the history of America. The first time was when the, these rich folks started getting taxed from England. It was rich folks. It wasn't the poor folks getting taxed for tea and sugar. It was rich people. And the rich people duped the poor people into fighting their fight for them. And all these poor, just poor-ass white folks started coming up, up there to support the rich folks, started dumping tea in the harbor. You couldn't even drink tea because your ass couldn't even afford it. <laughs> they wasn't taxing you, you dumbass. They was taxing the rich folks. And, and the poor folks started fighting the fight. And guess what? Then they ended up fighting the Revolutionary War. Right. America shifted on this axis. It was about money. Right? The second time it shifted, the South was killing it in, 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 in exports and, 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 and gross domestic product because they had free labor. Free labor. Free labor called slavery. <laughs> so they were killing it. They were exporting these, these, these crops and what they did had no overhead because they were just, you know, right. they we had just straight commodity. We a straight commodity out here. <laughs> right. And so the North was saying, man, these Southern folks gonna control the country because they're getting all the money. And we need to industrialize because France is industrializing and England is industrializing and this, that, and other. And so there was a war over money called the Civil War. And life again shifted in America, right? That's the second shift. And then you had, man, these black folks that said, hey, let's stop spending money on these buses. Let's shut these economies down in these cities because they won't let, which I disagree with, but they wouldn't, won't let us eat at their table or let us go to their school or let us live in their neighborhood, right? And they shut that money down. And that money, money for matter and the money for, you know, these courts and this, this that, and other, that goes to those cities. Budget from cities were getting hurt. And all of a sudden, they signed this doggone Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Right, and America shifted again on its axis because it was talking about money. Right, and then the last shift. Well, there's two more shifts now. The the second to last shift happened when they flew them doggone planes into the World Banks. Oh yeah. And life in America changed. Nine eleven. The nine eleven. They hit the World Banks, and I'm telling you, speaking capitalism. Right mm-hmm. now, we are in a shift again where America would never be the same. Because this pandemic has hurt the American economy, which in turn hopes, hurts the global economy. Mm-hmm. And America will never, ever, ever be the same again. But it's up, they were speaking capitalism, not English, not protesting in the streets, not yelling BLM. I no issue now. So all you BLM folks, shut up. Because <laughs> I support, yeah, you know, I support the protests. But I'm telling you, there has to be more than just the protest because we need to direct our money. $3 trillion in, in spending power, or is it $12 trillion in spending power just in the black community alone. So you can't tell me we don't have the ability to change our outcomes. It's not them, it's us. Mm-hmm. We have to be our own saviors and get out of the habit Get out of the habit of asking people to save the day for us. What is it going to take, Mr. Parkinson, to like even change a, a a mindset? Like, what is it going to take? Strong leadership, 
courageous leadership and people being willing to trust their fellow African American. It must be a hard thing to do for Ooh, that's a hard thing to do. That part, the trust part. It must be in our DNA mm-hmm. not to trust too much. Right. Because because think about it. You know, for years you have been taught to not trust, even through the slavery period. We're still dealing with holdovers. That's true. And, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, mental holdovers. One of the things that my mentor taught me, he said, he said, man, if you're ever dealing with, with black folks, put your best deal on the table. Mm. And they will talk their ways into their, their, they will talk themselves into a worse deal that you put on the table because they don't trust you. That's sad. And, but it's absolutely 100% true. It is. It is. It, it is. It is. Even with my dealings with business, it's amazing. Right. The things yeah. that I have to go through, you know, even yeah. as a woman, a black woman, double minority, you know, and right. it's sad right. and it's sad, but um, you're right. Strong leadership and you are definitely one of those strong leaders. Um, and this is my last question to you. You know, we just came off of a, a new presidency, um, political uh race, right? We got Joe Biden and my Sora Kamala Harris. How does this affect what you do with, with the new leadership for that's coming up in 2021 uh, with the presidency? How does that affect what you do? You know, you know, we, we, when, 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 when President-elect Biden and, and, and Vice President-elect Harris won, excuse me, won these seats, you could hear a collective sigh of relief mm-hmm. from the from the, from half the country anyway. Anyway, you know our our country has been uh, we you know we've gone through a trauma. Honestly, think about that. We our country has gone through a traumatic experience for the last four years. Oh my! We've we've never we've never seen anything like this. You know, so you you not only are you dealing with the trauma of the pandemic. You not only are you dealing with the trauma of your financial situation. You know, how am I going to feed my kids? We got. There are tons of evictions that are coming up in a month. Tons. I mean, a bunch of them. You know, and and, and you know, and, and so you're dealing with those traumas, right? And then you got this fool in the White House who every single day for four years has been uh, continuing trauma. Nothing good, not one, nothing good came from him. Mm-hmm. And, and every day you look on the news and it's, it's something negative coming from him. And so we, we've been traumatized. And, and when, you, when, when you say, when, when, when you go through a trauma, you literally have to heal from the inside because it creates uh, honestly, the same symptoms that 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 military people go through in regards to PTSD, you know. So America is honestly dealing with, you know, PTSD, and 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 uh, you know, and yeah, yeah, and and you know, and and along those lines. So when so that's America. But now let's talk about the black community, right? I'm gonna give you an example. You know, when when you, I'm, I'm a military. I'm military. So they trained me to kill people. They trained me to go to war. At the age of 17, I, I turned 18 Marine Corps boot camp. They were training me to go to war and to kill people, right? And, or to be in a war zone with bullets flying over your head and, you know, the, the possibility you may be killed any day, right? They trained me for that. 
And, and so I want you to think about if I was trained and I go to war and I come back with PTSD and I was trained as an adult to do it, imagine what's happening with that four-year-old black child that's growing up in a neighborhood that's a war zone, but he's growing up in it from four, from the age, I mean, from, as a, from a baby to the age of, you know, 15, right? Imagine what kind of trauma or stress that he's dealing with that has not been um, intervened or, or assessed or, or, or dealt with. Now, I want you to think about this, and I, and I want to leave, you, leave our folks with this too. If I'm trained and I come back with PTSD as a, as a military person from being in a war zone for one year, right? That baby, and think about this. I don't know one baby that come into this world that said, I want to grow up to be a killer, right? But that baby grows up in this environment, war in the house, war in the neighborhood, you know, this, that, and other, right? And they absorb all of this stuff for this many years. It's a wonder why, how, let me use me as, as an example. I didn't come into this world wanting to kill some kids at the age of 14 and go to jail. Right. But, but over the years of seeing it, and absorbing it and, and, and seeing violence in the household or seeing violence in the streets or seeing how people dealt with bullets, seeing folks get killed, you know, that became the new norm from what I was when I came into the earth. When I came to the earth, I was somebody hugging my mama's leg, right? But then at the age of 14, I was this person that, that had a loaded gun in the classroom and after school, it was going down. First person to raise their hand, they was going to get shot and killed. I was going to kill some kids. I was literally... That was what my mind was telling me to do. Thank God you didn't. Thank God. Right. Thank God. Look, thank God. There was a guy that snitched on me. And it's so funny. He told it, right? And uh, and, and I, didn't, I don't think I seen him after that. When they took me to jail, I don't think I ever seen him again, right? He was one guy I thought, you know, all of us were, oh, we hard out here, right? But you realize that there ain't nobody hard. When you go, when I went down to that office and they had their gun and all the dudes, they were way bigger than me. All these dudes that was threatening me and they all in there crying like some little females, right? I'm like, this this is what I would, I had to bring no gun for y'all, y'all some, <laughs> right? But, 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 but thank God for the dude that told it, right? Because I caught up with him on Facebook, right? And his ass didn't even remember that was the incident at all. It just goes to show you, it's so funny, it just goes to show you that, you know, where, you know, something that was so important in your life, you know, it was just, re- a, it was just my new purpose for them <laughs> to tell it, right? And, um, and, you know, and it changed everybody's life, you know, so, wow. yeah, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Well, Mr. Parkinson, I have thoroughly enjoyed you today on episode 146 of the Verbally Effective Podcast. You keep fighting that good fight you're doing. Um, you know, I, I know it's, it's a hard job, but you seem very passionate about it. You seem to have your ear to the community, you know, what is needed in our society, in our state, you know. So I, I just pray that um, you continue to make the right decisions, uh, circle yourself with people that are going to help you get to your goals. Um, and, you know, I just wish you the best, Mr. Parkinson, and thank you so much for thank sharing you. your journey today. We have learned so much about you. We got some good stories too, like you broke it down. <laughs> And I want you right now to let everyone know how they can get in touch with their state Tennessee representative and see everything that you do on social media. How can people keep in touch with you? 
Yeah, yeah. Follow us on on uh, social media at TN Rep Parkinson at TN Rep Parkinson. Uh, follow us on Facebook, State Rep with the period Antonio Parkinson. Like the page. Um, you know, we're we're the most probably the most accessible elected official around here. So I believe. You know, it. Yeah, we get we get inboxes and calls from everybody. You know, even other people's uh, in other people's districts. But you know, we love our people. We love our people, and you know, we want to see our people win. And when I say our people. I'm talking about those that that feel like they 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 don't have a voice. It doesn't matter if you're black or white. I represent Nutbush. You know, it's, it's it's poor white folks in there, and poor black folks, and poor Hispanics. You know, and and I represent Raleigh, and you know, we got a little bit more middle class space, and and I represent Douglas High Park and all these areas. So you know, it, it's it's my people. My people are my people. Those are the people that that feel like they they've been forgotten because I felt I was there some one time, you know, and yeah. still there in, in a lot of cases, you know, and so that's, that's, that's where my heart is, you know, and, and that's where my heart will continue to be. Well, you continue to stay safe as well, because, you know, the work that you do, the influence that you have, I want you to stay safe, but I know you, you know, you, sh you, you, you got it covered. <laughs> you got it covered. <laughs> it. Thanks for having me too. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, you're welcome. I'm sure we'll be working more in the future together, but um, I have thoroughly enjoyed you, Mr. Parkinson, and, you know, you be safe out here in this pandemic and continue to do the good work, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.